Today, as our previous episode, we've got Rick Vosman from Panfield Aviation. Welcome back for round two, Rick. Hey, hi guys. How's Carter? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good, Rick. So, Rick, today, you know, we're going to talk a lot about getting certified, the processes involved, and all the steps. And I think it's a good topic. As mentioned in our previous episode, I think there's a few misconceptions that people have about the drone industry in general. If you get certified and you're now certified, it doesn't mean, and I know you all want to, as I did, you know, you think, I get certified, now I can take over the world. It's not quite as simple as that, but there are ways to take over the world in a legal way and make some money along the way and have some fun as well in a very responsible manner, yeah. which is the aviation way, isn't it, Rick? Absolutely. I mean, the responsibility is the key word there, you know, safety. Um, we're playing in an airspace that uh, we, we're not always familiar with, so adhering to the regulations and the rules set out is uh, priority number one. But don't forget to have fun. 100% and I'm with you on that. So Rick, I'm a prospective student of a potential institution. I'm looking for a school to get certified and I think I'm not the only one out there. Could you maybe give us a few tips on what to look for in a perspective of our school and, and yeah, just things to be keenly aware about and that will help anyone in their drone journey to become certified? Absolutely. I mean, obviously, you know, my, my, my answer is going to be biased towards our own school, but I think there's a couple of main things that you do need to look out for because of the, the potential lack of confusion out there in what's available. You know, at the end of the day, for me, answer number one to that is the credibility of the operation. You know, you need to find a school that firstly is accredited by the Civil Aviation of South Africa, and that is vital. If it's not accredited, your certification is not going to mean anything. So do your homework, look at the CIA website, find out which are the schools that are accredited under their their, 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 their program and, and speak to those schools. In South Africa, I think there are only five at the moment that are accredited to train and license pilots in the RPAs or the drone uh, environment. So look for that. Speak to people. Um, you know, a lot of the schools out there have got thousands of people that have been through the ranks. Speak to people. Find out what the school's like. How's their service? Is it professional? Um, you know, Cranfield, our benefit or one of the benefits that we feel strongly about is not only what we offer, but, uh, you know, a, a full service offering. So, you know, over the, in the 80 odd different courses we cover, you know, we also cover things that you need for your remote operating certificate accreditation, like quality assurance, the safety management systems course, the aviation security course, the dangerous goods course. Um, do the instructors, are they able to do the English proficiency certification that you require? So just do a little bit of homework out there. There's not millions of schools that you need to cover, but look for those schools that offer the full service. Um, again, things like support and experience in the industry. Having had so many students pass through us and understanding the legislation so well, um, what can, how can we support new people coming into the industry um, and our experiences in that area? And then, of course, transparency. Um, find out what is the course that you're going to be doing covered. Are there external requirements needed for your certification? What are the costs applicable with that? Because the the course costing that advertised by the different schools, you know, is that the final word? So ask them about all of those things so that you get a full picture on what's going to what's going to transpire between signing on and getting your final license. Yeah, and I think you've touched on so many important things here. I mean, I, I kind of gave you a brief introduction when we when we had our first conversation, you know, and, and you actually pointed me in the right direction. Um, I was asking, I was kind of looking on Facebook again, you know, I start with the whole community. I asked the community, you know, what, because what you said is very important, get feedback from an active community of certified pilots. Yeah. And that's exactly what I set out to do. I actually went online and I started asking questions. And needless to say, obviously, I got good feedback um, from of Cranfield Aviation. You know, very good things were said about, you know, your institution, which is why, you know, you're one of the early episodes on my show. Wonderful. And um, yeah, yeah. And I mean, you also pointed me in the right direction because you actually pointed out, listen, Carter, you know, there's there's only five ROCs, and I spoke to other other schools yeah. as well, yeah. and 
Yeah, ATOs. Apologies, you're right. <laughs> and, and what I found out was, um, you know, there's there's a lot of people offering training, and you know they're not certified, and and that's a you know. In my opinion, if you offer a service and you call it as as it is, you call a spade a spade and say, hey, listen, we're not going to get you certified, but you know what? We can help you start flying the right way and make sure you don't crash your drone pilot. I'm perfectly for that if, yeah. if they do it in a safe and responsible manner. Obviously, I would prefer if they are kind of certified because like you said, you know, there's a reason why you're certified and it counts for something. But okay, let's let's call a spade a spade. They help you set up your drone right. They help you not to crash it in the first five minutes and you pay for that. And you know exactly what you're paid for. I'm still okay with that. But it does come across that some institutions claim that they can get you certified, but I'm not seeing them on that, that ATO list. No. Rick, what's the implication of that? Well, the civil aviation will not issue you with a license at the end of the day. You have to have a South African civil aviation license to, to be a qualified or certified pilot, little red book, pilot uh, license book. And without going through an accredited ATO, you will not be able to get that license when you submit your paperwork to the civil aviation. It's as simple as that. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's interesting. I also, um, <laughs> I got... And, and this is a strange thing, this one institution, which I'll remain nameless. Um, you know, they, 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 I, I heard kind of good things and it seems like people were getting certified, but I don't know if it was maybe people that work for the business and they were recommending this place more in more than one instance. Mm. So, and, and I don't see them on that list and, you know, people are still recommending it. So I don't know if it's someone working for them. And then the interesting thing is, Rick, actually a week or two later, as I was following up multiple times with some of these institutions, the irony is the ones I had to follow up to wasn't on that list that you mentioned. So I yeah. kind of connected the dots yeah. and I got, I got a phone call from this institution and this, this, this person was very confrontational. I said, why do I want to talk about and why do I want to ask it? I'm like, listen, whoa, 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 take five steps back. I'm not here to interrogate you. Um, I just want to know more about, you know, your school and what you offer. And they're like, no, 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 we don't do interviews. Just send me, send me a list of questions. And that came off very sketchy. I didn't like the energy of the person and how they kind of were very confrontational right off the bat. And that comes down to what you said earlier, Rick. A transparent open card company will never react like that. Exactly. I think what they probably are doing, they got, they, they, they've stepped on some hot coals before and I take it some, some, people like you that have done their due diligence has openly maybe, or in some cases, you know, confronted this said institution and say, Hey guys, like you can't market that you, this institution that offers certification, but you're not certified. And I take it. That's kind of that, why they kind of had that back foot. When I just asked for a plain interview, they were very confrontational and it was very kind of awkward. And I was just like, you know, it's not, it's not the right way to treat this. No, Either no. tell it as it is. So say, like I mentioned before, we institution, listen, we're not certified, but we can help you in certain other aspects and help you develop some soft skills. I'm 100% for that. But I yeah. think the deception aspect is what really put me down to this institution. And when you sent me that list, it was clear as day why they were reacting like it. Sorry, absolutely. I mean, look, everybody's out to, to have a business. And... And as you say, there's nothing wrong with somebody teaching you how to potentially fly a drone, um, things like, you know, for your own purposes. But to, they've got to make sure that if they're advertising certification, they better be registered because the civil aviation will not allow that. And unfortunately, you know, with the lack of education out there, a lot of people are being misled, potentially being misled, um, thinking that if they go to a certain institution, they'll become a licensed pilot. And... Um, that's not the case. So, you know, do your homework, speak to other people, speak to other pilots, ask them where they got their accreditation or their license from, what was their experience, how did they enjoy it, what did it entail? So all those questions, just like any other um, um, research people do before they go into a job or something like that, speak to people who've been there, done that, and, and you'll get the right feedback. You know, this is, this is a, it's a, it's a very small industry still in terms of qualified people out there, and you will come across people who will give you the right direction or the right information. Yeah, and I 100% agree with that. And I think the, 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 great, the reason why I created this platform is exactly for that. 
yeah. you know there there are stuff to read and you can you can read but for someone that's new into this it's a bit overwhelming you know Absolutely. there's no there's no a to z per se that's going to say cool this is how you do it these are the schools operating and i think what i want to do moving forward as well is have these conversations uh, with this institutions like yourselves and you know collaborate with people in the industry and have weekly blogs about a specific topic and you know just dispelling some of the rumors in the industry and actually give nice guidance you know mm. a 12 step guide in getting certified or whatever you know so rick yeah in, in that regard if you guys want to have input as well that would be much appreciated um FAQs are a great place to start, you know, creating blogs around that or some video or a podcast episode or two. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, make those notes for future episodes. <laughs> for sure. And I mean, uh, you know, Cranfield, um, obviously, we've got competitors in the marketplace, but we are not in the business of, uh, of, of being greedy. And because we've been in the game for so long and have such a, 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 a good reputation in terms of our service and our transparency and our advice, you know, people can just phone us and ask us for information or advice on, on, on this industry and who to speak to. You know, we're not, we're not greedy. There's enough business to go around for everyone. And there's some great schools out there. And if we can ensure that our, our pilot community or our drone community becomes safer, um, well, better for all of us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it is a community effort. And I think one thing I do want to create with this platform is kind of that sense of community as well. Um, I know we've got lovely ones and, 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 you know, using this platform, I'll obviously promote those, those communities as well mm. and, you know, give power to them and, and um, shout outs and all of that. Because, you know, for someone starting out from scratch, there are good communities out there. And I take some, like anything in this life, you know, there's some communities that are better than other, more informative, more constructive. And um, yeah, I'm going to give people those resources, like you say, so they can do the research themselves and come to an objective, um, you know, kind of answer to to all their questions. Yep. So, Yarek, I think we've covered that in good detail. And, and thanks for your, your insights. Much appreciated. Um, Rick, I think we'll we'll go on to the burning question on this episode, focusing more on, um, you know, what are the steps? So if you could just kind of walk us through about the steps to become a licensed operator. Um, if you want to operate in the commercial space, you've got a great business idea or you want to become a photographer or whatever the case might be, these, this, these steps might probably be kind of generic, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Just yeah. depending on what direction yeah. you want to go, that last part might be a bit more specialized, the ROC you joined. Yeah. Look, I mean, it, it's a pretty straightforward process. Um, and the outlines or the guidance material that civil aviation provides on their website is, is, is quite clear. Um, it, you know, there's some basic steps that you've got to cover. You've got to have licensed pilots. Uh, and all of this part forms part of your whole uh, application. So you, you get licensed pilots or you become a licensed pilot with your own um, accredited pilot license. Then you need to submit the application to the civil aviation on the, the, the ROC. Which, which is a five-step process. And I think it's Civil Aviation 101.13, if I remember correctly, which is their proposed schedule of events. When you apply initially, they will then send you a document that tells you what steps need to be handled and at what stage. There's things like the registration of your aircraft uh, that you need to go through and, and their guidance material outlines, all of that stuff in quite detail. Um, what your operation manual needs to include. So there's checklists and the SMS process and the quality assurance process, the aviation security process, your responsible people and who they should be and what they would be responsible within the for within the organization. Um, and then your other considerations that you need to take into account is your third-party liability insurance for commercial operations. You need to, as an individual, make sure that all your personnel have the correct um, certification like as a in terms of a pilot have you got your minimum class 3 medical certification have you got your radio certification so all of those things and and you know without going into too much detail about it if anybody's serious about it just go onto the civil aviation website and go and look under the um, ROC applications and you will see an extremely well um, uh, lay, um, broken down layout of what's required 
Okay, excellent, Rick. Um, then from my side, um, I wanted to take a step back. We started, we started that process with being, it's assuming we are already licensed. And I think what we maybe can do in this episode is, um, I know the questions are a bit later, but let's, let's mix it up a bit because I think it makes more sense. Tell us how, I'm a prospective student, Carter. I'm now, I'm now ready. I say Cranfield is my school. Can you talk to that process and then we'll segue into, um, you know, the, the theory and the curriculum part as well, the theory and the practical. So talk us through that entire process from a student signing up the medical check right through to becoming certified and the timeline as well, if you don't mind. I know sure. it's a bit of a mouthful, but <laughs> I take it you're comfortable with this topic. <laughs> not, not a problem at all. All right, so you've decided you want to become an RPL pilot and you now need to get certification. So it's a simple process of uh, contacting the school and saying, I'd like to do my drone license and when are your next courses. We would then advise you on the theory course because they are done in two parts. Uh, there's a minimum requirement from the civil aviation in terms of how long the theory needs to be, and that needs to be covered, uh, checked out with the school as well. Um, our theory course is a seven-day, seven-working-day-week uh, course, uh, Monday to Friday and then Monday, Tuesday. And that uh, covers things like air law, which is part 101 of the regulations. And again, anybody wanting to know about that can go onto the Civil Aviation website and have a look at the 101 for the drone site. It covers things like um, aerodynamics, the drone construction and parts, batteries, the systems, human factors, which is taken out of demand, uh, human factor curriculum. We look at site assessments, how to do those correctly, pre-flight assessments, navigation, meteorology, and then, of course, your radio telephony restricted license. So there's quite a lot that goes into the seven-day theory, and that's all done at our training school out of Chartwell. Um, you know, we can cater up for 136 students a day. So our drone courses, um, the theory side is always open for more people. And uh, they join us for seven days and they handle the theory part. I always recommend to, to prospective students is you can go and get your medical before the you start the theory. And that's just to make sure that you're medically fit and able to get a, a class three medical certificate. After your theory, you then have 90 days in which to complete the process of doing your practical as well. And um, you then will book with the civil aviation to do your radio exam. And that can be done at the civil aviation in Midrand or any approved test center around the country. They take you through the process when the, when the exams are written, the costs, etc. And you get that. Then you contact us and you let us know, right, you're ready for your practical course. We tell you when the next practical course is. Um, it's limited to a certain amount of uh, students because obviously the more one-on-one -on -one the student has with the instructor from a practical perspective, the better. And that is a five-day course which covers um, um, uh, um, airmanship and then, of course, your practical instruction where it's one-on-one -on -one flying with the instructor um, that will be Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and possibly a little bit into Friday, depending on how the instructor and the student feels about their skill level. And then the second last thing they do before the final exam is what we call a letter of recommendation skills test. And that is where the instructor goes through sort of a, a mock-up of the final exam where they assess the practical flying skills of the student and their theoretical knowledge that they have acquired during the theory and, of course, the last few days of the practical. It's at this stage that the instructor can say to the student, look, you're not ready in terms of your skill set. Maybe we need to practice a bit more or you can go away and practice a little bit more on your own. Or the student has the option to say, look, I'm a little bit nervous. Um, I'd like to do a little bit more practical training. Because then on the last day, which is normally a Saturday in our case, they do what they call a designated flight examiner skills test. And that is with a civil aviation approved instructor where it's basically your final exam to say, yes, you pass or don't pass as a registered drone pilot or as an accredited drone pilot. So that's, that's in a nutshell, the process laid out for getting your drone license with a training organization such as Cranfield. Very well summed up, Rick. Thank you for that. My question, first off, would probably be th these classes. Let's, let's start with the theory classes. 
How long, how long would these uh, classes be on a daily basis? Um, is it is it the eight to five kind of uh, operation? What's the usual? Uh, you know, I think each school would differ, uh, uh, particularly with related to Cranfield. We start all our courses at 9 a.m. every day. And, you know, course dependent would be depend on it would depend on the course of when the course would end so the drone course for example will run from 9 to about 3 3 30 latest every day give people a chance to get home uh you know obviously with a lunch and two tea breaks either side cranfield uh, also you know give all our students lunch which is quite a nice touch but basically from 9 to about 3 on a daily basis and then the practical would also be from 9 o'clock um, in the morning unless in some cases students like to organize on the side with the instructor to get a little early to get a little bit more flying in um, and also it just depends on the, the, the particular students flying skills you know some people need a little bit more practice than others others are already well skilled up in terms of their practical skills when they get there so they might need a little less practical but the theory is based on a required number of hours as instructed by the civil aviation we adhere to that um, and yeah seven days is a, is a lot of time to go to spend learning theory but it's all well okay so let me be the cynical person that i am let's say i'm a full-time employee i don't have seven days leave is there a electronic way or some kind of because because in my mind theory theory would be the easier and the more flexible one between the two here i mean the practical i think is something you can't get by uh (laughs) doing it by yourself You, you need you need to get that done with an instructor and you know between the instructor and yourself you can make the decision once you're ready to go write your final exam but but in the theory is there any flexibility or anything online you guys offer so let's say for instance i'm a full-time kind of guy i've got another job but i want to get into the drone industry anything you guys offer for a bit of flexibility on that yeah look unfortunately the the theory element um is not um um, approved by the civil aviation to be done online yet we do uh, offer webinars and that is uh, as a result of the situation COVID has placed the world in where we during the theory you may log on to instructor-led classes via a, a webinar facility um, we have been advocating the online for the theory now and that is still with the CIA at the moment um, for approval as far as we're aware but it I have a feeling it might come in the future on the theory only, um, but there will be some strict regulations um, around that to ensure that the students are getting still the are still getting the the quality of instruction that is required. But at the moment, it's either classroom or webinar. Okay, excellent. And then the practical um, five days to do your practical. Is it? Do you guys offer um, training uh, practicals over the weekends? Is it a Monday to Friday kind of endeavor? What's the current uh, status quo for that? Yeah, look, um, currently the, 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 the official course that stands is the Monday to Friday for the training and the airmanship and the practical, and then the, the final skills test done on the Saturday mornings for the students. However, some students will say to us, look, I'm really nervous. I do need more practical instruction. They can always make an arrangement with us where we will see if we have an instructor available for some one-on-one training with them. Um, that's not a problem. It's, that's, that's easy to do for us. It's all about, you know, sort of a, a, a all-rounded service delivery offering from our side. So absolutely, depending on what the student wants, we will always see if we can accommodate Okay, so basically, <laughs> word of advice, best way to do this, and, and, and obviously as a student, what you want to do is have about 13 days of leave for this because I think you'll get the most value if you can actually attend this as much as possible um, for yourself and moving forward. And I think the, the learning curve is a bit, bit less steep um, if you... Yeah. If you go on and uh, yeah, try to hack at this in a part-time basis. And I think if you delay it, the, the other thing as well with part-time, doing this part-time, if you do it over a longer stretch, you have you run the risk of forgetting some of the stuff that you kind of learned at the beginning. Um, and it will be a kind of much more difficult endeavor than rather, because um, 13 Absolutely. days actually, in, to put it in perspective, is two working weeks and three days. And you really hunker down and you really focus on this. I mean, with those days of leave that you put in, you can get a lot of learning done and really be sharp and get good marks yeah. on this. Because I think 
just like any other industry, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Rick, if you do very well, you, you will be recommended by the institution, by private companies, you know, asking Absolutely. for candidates as well. Absolutely. I mean, we do have the odd company that will come to us and say, listen, we want to look at your top delegate or your top candidate from your next course. You know, we're looking for somebody young, somebody new to the game, but we want somebody that's achieved during the school. Just to go back or one thing quickly, Carter, the theory and the practical courses are split um, for obvious reasons. People don't have 13 days in a row to do the course. So as I said, you have a period of about three months which you have to get everything done. But if for some reason a client can't do the practical within that period, um, there are ways, uh, uh, as approved by the CIA, where you can uh, revise your theory um, examination, so to speak, so that your period gets extended out again because, you know, maybe the guy can't get back within 90 days for whatever reason. So the, 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 the courses are split, so it's not all in one go, put bluntly. Okay, that's that's good. And I take it like the, 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 the practical can be broken up, like two days in this week, two days in the other, and like the last day if, in the next week as well. If we have to, if we have to, absolutely. You know, we do try and understand, we do understand that there are limitations with regard to people's time, but you can do certain parts of it, uh, you know, in a split up version, as long as we are within the guidelines set up by the Aviation Authority. Okay, cool. So it does it does offer some flexibility, which is quite refreshing. Um, like you say, yeah. as I understand it, the practical is booked. So you have to book time. And, and I take it, obviously, as you mentioned, if it's fully booked at the date you want to, you obviously have to reschedule. But the benefit, the flip side of that is you get that personalized touch, that one-on-one -on -one with the instruction, instructor, which is quite valuable. Yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's excellent. That's good to hear. Okay, so... Um, I think you answered the next question for me with this and, and thank you for it. You know, you're waiting on the civil aviation authority to, to kind of approve some of the new practices you want to push regarding e-learning. Um, I went onto your website and I see there was a plethora of, of courses that you guys already have online. If I'm not mistaken, you guys are quite pro online learning and, 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 you know, doing things no, it's it's good to have the instruction in a classroom, but I think if COVID has taught us anything, especially in, in any educational part, I mean, some schools, I'm talking about, you know, schools, you know, as we know them in the traditional sense, were ready and it was quite easy and seamless for them to kind of give students lessons remotely. And some were woefully unprepared. They did not have the infrastructure, they did not have the planning um and it was just a fundamental nightmare and i take it that's also true in your sector uh some schools were maybe more prepared than others to kind of go remote you know we are advocates of classroom training we absolutely love it you know for us the relationships that you form with the students we have got lifelong students and friends that have been coming to us for years because they just enjoy the classroom environment you know we've got the most beautiful training environment uh, out there which is sort of there's a bush feel to it, you know, nice thatched ceilings. So we love the interaction with a customer. However, we are, are appreciative of the fact that the world is going distance learning um, and we can't sit back and wait. And, you know, through our other business, which is the human factor, we, we train people around the world. Um, we've started to get a good handle on, or we have a good handle on webinar training. And we know that people want the option of online training at your own time so you know where we've had to we we do where we where we can't because of uh, whatever regulations are in place we don't but uh, we do understand that this is the way of the future and maybe sprung on us a lot earlier due to COVID than we had thought previously but you know we get up we're ready we have everything in place we're already doing it um, but at the end of the day you know you can't replace the the, the instructor at the front but uh but we have to offer an all-rounded service because that's what some customers want. Yeah, 100%. And one thing that I've also taken into account, and you've made a very good point, Rick. I mean, for someone that's looking to join a new industry, that the relationships that you build of actually going into an institution and working with groups in a project, getting to know the instructors, that is a cost that people seldomly associate with education. Let me not call it a cost, let me rephrase, a benefit. And if you build strong bonds with people that you study with and with the instructors, 
you already have kind of an advantage once if you do well and really put the work in you've got people that will immediately vouch for you and if they go out and get a job at a place and that place starts recruiting for a new position the first name on their lips will be yours that counts for a lot of having spoke earlier as well that legitimacy that you have if you have legitimacy uh, we spoken up i think it was in our previous episode where i asked you if you want to do work over the weekends and, and you actually mentioned that it's very difficult to kind of do peace jobs in the industry but if you go to institution you stand out uh, you create a youtube channel or whatever and you showcase your work people know you're very good at what you do you know and and you actually know people in the industry i think that kind of goes a far way in marketing yourself but also be able to leverage uh, yourself better in the industry in general yeah absolutely i mean you know as i said earlier having been in the game for 20 years a lot of our students come on refresher training so they they have become sort of friends and a lot of them bump into each other at the training on a regular basis so they network on their own in some form or other uh, on a continuous basis as well a lot of them know each other so you know, we get to know our students so well, and, and, and a lot of them are all very on first-name terms basis, and they will regularly phone us for, for advice on subjects or advice on the industry and things like that, and advice on new products or services coming up within our, within our area of responsibility. So, you know, it, it works well for them as well. Well, that's that sounds good, and I think it comes down to what we said in our previous part as well um, about that collaboration aspect. Uh, if you don't know anyone, <laughs> you can have a bad time of trying to collaborate because uh, you won't have anyone to collaborate with. And I think actually partaking into the training and getting getting really into it gives you an opportunity to actually meet the people. And I think another thing that you mentioned earlier as well, it's still a relatively young industry. So everyone is kind of bumping into everyone. That's actually a great thing. Where other more mature industries, it's much more difficult to kind of hang out with everyone in a small frame of time or get yeah. hold of them. But a younger industry, you've got the benefit of actually, you know, let's call it meeting people quicker that you want to, aspiring people or people that have done great things. You, easy access to yeah. them, if I can put it that way. Because, you know, people are on a closer network basis with each other. They know each other. So if you want to get hold of someone or, or do a brainstorm with someone, it's much easier to get access to them and that knowledge, which I think is a great thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the drone industry alone has got so many different chat groups and uh, sources of information um, you know, they've just formed the Drone Council of South Africa that's going to be sort of an advisory body involved as well. So, you know, there's no excuse for not knowing what's going on or being uh, up to that speed with what the regulations are saying and what developments are happening in the industry. Either. That should make for interesting discussion point on its own, maybe at another time, Rick. We can maybe cover that in a bit more detail. Any students out there doing some interesting stuff of yours? Former students, current students, uh, what do you have for me there? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, we've had so many students come through the drone course over the last uh, three to four years. You know, there, there's this there's this ongoing discussion about delivery, uh, utilizing drone services, and the South African National Blood Services is uh, very involved in that with being able to collect and deliver blood to sort of rural areas or areas that are, are difficult to get into. Um, and, um, you know, one of our ex-instructors is, is fundamental in leading that whole charge with training and setting up of that process. Obviously, that is a, an initiative that is not straightforward because you are talking about the transportation of dangerous goods. Mm. You know, what you don't want is a drone disappearing with a, a bucket load of infected blood or something like that into, you know, somewhere it shouldn't be. So there's that uh, sort of initiative that comes to mind. Obviously, we've got a lot of our customers that are in, in game management, utilization of drones. Um, you just have to go onto the TV and, or onto internet and look up Wild Earth TV, I think is run by Graham Wellington, uh, an ex-friend of mine, where they utilize drones tremendously for their, 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 their safari type uh, or style programs. Obviously, the surveying, huge uh, security. We've had some, some current students and ex-students that have got very involved in the security aspect, um, 
utilizing drones and infrared technology and things like that. So, you know, to pick out one is a bit difficult, but um, uh, sure, the, the, the applications out there and what one, what, what one student was doing last month, he's now moved his drone focus into a totally different uh, arena. I know, I know they're using drones tracking the rhinos and if they go out of a perimeter, they send drones to actually go check out what's happening, do the surveying part. And then obviously with that, have uh, rangers respond to incidents as well. It's this wild world machine, I think, that they've kind of established now. No, I was just going to say on the rhino thing there, I mean, game tracking. If you consider the costs of sending out a helicopter, you know, uh, the, the, the pilots, the cost of the aircraft, the refueling, etc., etc., it's so much easier to send out a drone immediately, pinpoint where that particular animal is for whatever reason you need to, and then send out the, 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 the ground crew. So, you know, the, the cost savings, never mind the, the functionality and the ease of it, are tremendous to these operations. So it just makes sense to, to, to incorporate that technology. Yeah, and on security as well. I know um, AfriForum's programs as well for rural security, they're also using a lot of drones and they actually mentioned the cost saving. You, you mentioned that the refueling of um, helicopters it's it's a hell of a cost i mean having that 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 helicopter in the air for a bit the pilot the physical rent of the the helicopter and the refueling you know these things add up and it's a it's a big big expense uh, i don't pe- yeah. think people appreciate the, the cost of sending in a heli into the sky for a for a, even if it's for a, a you know a, f- a few a few hours or minutes it's 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 quite substantial and um, I've also yeah. seen some interesting stuff where I think it's in, in somewhere in Australia where lifeguards, they actually use yeah. drones to check out if there's any sharks in the vicinity as well. So they do their daily rounds um, on the beaches to make sure, just off the beaches in the waters, make sure that the shark nets are clean and there's been no, <laughs> there's no sharks in the swimming areas as well. So, so lots of interesting yeah, applications, mean, Rick. I think the, the, the nice thing is every time we'll probably talk about drones, we'll probably talk about something new because it's coming up at such a speed, you know, new uses, and it's so interesting. So, And I think, again, this is what got us excited about this industry. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, absolutely. I mean, all you have to do is look at how technology is enriching our lives in one way to make it easier for us, safer for us, more productive for us, and cheaper for us. You know, I mean, the other flip side of the coin is is the downside to potential jobs being taken over by drones. But I think that is just uh, the way the world is moving. But um, I, I still think the pros far outweigh the cons in terms of being able to be more productive and safer and more cost effective. Yeah, Rick, um, I agree with you. And, and you know what's an interesting thing is, I mean, think about pre-industrial revolution. There was the same fears. People are like, oh, we're all going to lose our jobs. People don't take into account how many new jobs will be created. We get rid of, I would say, the more manual, boring jobs. And we actually get a plethora of new interesting jobs. And I mean, if you have a job that's much more interesting and engaging, I mean, psychologically, and I think we, we all stand to win from it. You know, and, uh, <laughs> and and we've seen time and time and again that, yeah, 100%, some jobs will be taken over by technology. But at the end of the day, a lot of new ones, there's jobs that we don't even know about that will be created moving forward. It's just the motion of things. And I think we're better off for it. Remember, that guy that used to climb towers and, and do inspections, he can become an operator. And instead of like yeah. climbing two towers a day, he can now go and inspect eight. Exactly. It's that you become much more, you can scale things at a way that we've never seen it before. And the nice thing is with drones, you can do this in the field in many ways, you know. Yeah. Where other technologies kind of have limited application. Well, the only real limit on drone is the flight times. Um, yeah applications are getting created every day and, and we're creating new technology and attachments for the drones to do more. So I think, Absolutely. I think we're in for some, some yep, interesting times moving forward, Rick. And then next thing I want to ask you is obviously you guys train pilots all the time and, and you've seen them come and go. 
this is just maybe for 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 people existing pilots um or maybe even new prospective ones what do you think is uh, uh makes a i guess that pilot? could be a matter of opinion but i mean if i had to answer yeah it, yeah let's so, let's 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 throw it as an opinion then because like you yeah. say everyone will kind of have a different opinion on it yeah. so so if you would have to sum it up and and, and from what you've seen i mean personal experience sure. let's call it that what would your Look, opinion I mean, be on this yeah, some guys might just say it's his skill set, but you know, for from us who, who are coming from a training and a regulatory and a safety perspective, I think adherence to the regulations um, and understanding the theoretical component to the operations is vital. You know, it's a it's an industry we just have to adhere. Uh, we have to comply with what the authorities put out there. Uh, safety, as I mentioned, and good airmanship. We are sharing the skies with manned aviation. We need to be respectful of that. We need to comply with the regulatory authorities and what rules they put out so we can be safer. Um, obviously, your practical skills. I mean, you know, the better you are at something, the better you're going to do in your respective career. Um, and then, as I mentioned, the respect for the law, your fellow aviators and your equipment. So, you know, there's, I think there's all rounded requirements and, and characteristics that need to be complied or, 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 or adhered to in order to become a competent pilot. Yeah, I think that's 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 very sound advice. Um, I'm not at a level where I can comment can comment quite a lot on this yet, but uh, I think you've covered everything that I would consider important as well. You know, mm. being always being safe, adhering to the regulations, um, yeah. having having a good skill set. You know, especially when it comes to some hairy situations, wind picks up. Um, your drone is in a precarious place. Wind picks up, it it blows it like. Do you go left or right? Do you go up? You know, having some nice, uh, I think some extra yeah, training is always worthwhile. Um, um, you know, especially if you're in a very niche place or, or any other space, if you've got some additional training and you know to how to react to um, situations that change, whether that change suddenly, all of those kind of things. And, and then also yeah. whatever you're doing and executing, you do it within the confines of the laws. And exactly. um, yeah, yeah. Being respectful and, and being to your aware of your capabilities and the capabilities of the drone, you know, and and operating within that. Yeah, I think I think that's a very important one because I think people that's been doing something for a long time tend to slack off on on that that specific thing. Thing we hear a lot of air crashes sometimes, and okay, not a lot. Like I'm, I'm putting it out there. Sorry, fellow airmen. Um, mm. There's some cases that's been studied where people have been doing something for years and they just they make a rookie mistake. It's maybe that kind of hubris that you get with being done doing something a thousand times. You think, ah, you know what, I, I got this. And in some cases, people overextend their own ability or the like you say, the ability of the aircraft. And then you know that leads to a fatal injury or a crash. So yeah. I think being cognizant and always being humble is, is also a very good attribute to have. Always being, uh, you know, open to knowing that, listen, um, <laughs> I'm very good at what I do, but this 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 piece of string can run out real quickly if I do something wrong. You know, always kind of be cognizant of your skills and the ability of the aircraft, I think is a very good mes message. And you shouldn't push yeah, those boundaries. Absolutely. And I mean, some people refer to it as complacency. You know, um, mm. you know, the more skilled and the more experienced and the more hours you've got and the more you've done something over and over and over, people have a, a tendency to be complacent, which is one of the biggest killers. And that, that particular subject matter is covered during our theory course um, so that people understand that complacency is a, is a real danger. And, 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 you know, just because you know how to fly a drone today doesn't mean you can become complacent tomorrow and think everything will run smoothly. Okay, well, that's that's very sound advice, Rick, and and thanks for that. <laughs> I'm happy that you know your your theory covers that because I think that's a honey trap that a lot of people fall into. Um, yeah. Rick, then then on that point, um, you know, we're almost done with this interview. Um, why why Cranfield? Why should people consider Cranfield as a viable option for them? Um, what, what, I know this is going to be biased, but it's your bias, so this is your time to shine and give an elevator pitch. <laughs> All right. Look, I mean, you know, you only have to speak to people in the industry. 
um, and uh, mention the name Cranfield, and I think you'll get nothing but positive response. And that's testimony to the fact that we have the same people coming back year in, year out for their renewals, for their training, the referrals we get on a continuous basis. The fact that even the South African Civil Aviation trains their drone pilots with us is, is testimony to the product we put out there. But I think, you know, we're a dynamic training organization and we, we uh, you know, we present, we present it to the industry, we present to industry professionals from multiple sectors of the industry. So, uh, you know, without going into it, it, it's just the professionalism that Cranfield puts out there. The, the environment we work in, the, the quality of the instructors and the admin staff we have, you know, all of our instructors are either ex-pilots, man pilots, helicopter pilots, or have tremendous years of experience in the aviation industry. So we've tried to put um, professionals or experienced professionals in those positions so that when you're talking to somebody about uh, some sort of technical training program, you know that that person has has lived that program in their own particular career. You know, we have uh, daily calls coming from people who are pilots or are resigned or unfortunately laid off for whatever reason, contacting Cranfield saying, look, I'm available for an instructor position, you know, if you ever need me. So I think word of mouth is our, actually our biggest selling point. Wow. Wow, that's that's good. And and. and- Certainly, you heard it the nail on the head there because it was word of mouth that got me to you. So, <laughs> and and as I said, you got favorable, only favorable comments um, in my poll that I did personally. Uh, so, so that's that's a actually a good testament to what you just said. So, hundred percent agree with you, yeah. Derek. And uh, then actually, you touched on something here. You should. You we're probably getting a ton of requests uh, from pilots at this stage. You know, with with all the aircraft grounded at this strange time that we live in, I take it uh, all the flight schools were probably um, flooded with applications from pilots saying, "Hey, I'm an instructor. You know, can I help?" And the irony probably is, <laughs> with COVID, is you can trace train less people in these times. So it's kind of it's it's such a bad situation. You might get more applications from pilots trying to become instructors, but you also can train fewer pilots at a time. Can, did you uh, see anything like that happening now, or is that just my imagination going wild again here? No, I don't think you're wrong there. You know, I think the uncertainty of where the aviation industry, which has obviously been hit tremendously hard by this whole COVID scenario that we're unfortunately in, I think the uncertainty has been a big player in terms of um, should I enter the industry or I'm already in the industry but should I renew my license because I don't know if I'm going to be working next year or next month or whatever the situation is. We still had a lot of um, applications for our ab initio program which is uh, um, flight crew. We all know them as mm. air hostess or things like that. So we still we still have a lot of applications for that because it is a, a fantastic career for somebody to get into. You know, a lot of our pilots have to do renewals on an annual basis for particular uh, courses that they uh, are certified for. So that hasn't really fallen away. But, you know, a lot of the older type pilots have uh, contacted us and said, look, I'm available for training. They know us well. We're on first name basis. We know them well. And it's become a situation where it's a phone call to Cranfield and say, listen, it's Bob, yeah. You know, as you know, I've been coming there for 20 years. Um, I'm resigning or I've been laid off or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, I have a world of knowledge and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm available to, to offer my training services if that's something you require. So so we've seen both sides of it. And and Rick, have, have you seen actual pilots coming on and doing their drone certification, Absolutely. getting that done? I mean, a lot of helicopter pilots do the drone course uh, because on the downside of the drone industry, uh, mushrooming is the application for drone usage, which were previously done by helicopters. So a lot of helicopter pilots are getting their drone licenses because they understand the requirements and know that a drone can be used for that same application and therefore get their drone licenses. And it's also a nice way to stay in the industry, especially if you're passionate in aviation or about aviation. Mm, mm. I, I can think that's an amazing thing. I mean, you can fly with your helicopter to a very remote spot and go do surveying. It's kind of like it links in so well. 
because the the, the, the the helicopter gives you access to some places that are very remote or might take a lot of time to get to. And then when you get there, you can actually take a drone with a few batteries. And if you have to do infrastructure surveying or whatever the case might be, uh, you can you can add it, add that as well. So you're getting probably, I don't know how the commercials work, but in my head, you get paid for your time that you're flying to the premise. And you're also getting paid for the actual service with the drone or the survey that you are doing. Uh, so I, th- I think I think we can maybe one day do an episode where we kind of link aviation together and see where they link helicopter pilots doing incredible things with drones, you know, and that segue and the benefit of having that skill. I think yeah, it's, quite it's, an ex- it's an incredible way to extend your career if that's what you want, because, you know, you're able to go from flying manned aircraft or helicopters, whatever it might be, to taking your same skills and knowledge of that particular industry and utilizing the drone for it. So, you know, the benefits are there as well. Yeah, that sounds that sounds like an episode, Rick. So go talk to some people and get back to me on that one. <laughs> Rick, and then then obviously, you know, we're talking about uh, helicopter pilots becoming drone pilots um, or let's call it a teacher is not happy at what they're doing or an accountant or people just kind of that want to change careers you know they they kind of don't enjoy what they're doing or they are enjoying what they're doing but they want to add a bit of drone spice to their life um any advice on on these kind of people or any yeah if you have to give them your five Look, cents, i think, what I think what's important and depends on where you're coming from and where you want to go to i think once you answer that question in your own mind you will have a much better idea of you know, is it worthwhile or do you really want to change from one career to an aviation-related career? Um, you know, you've got to be passionate about what you want to do in the, in the industry. Otherwise, you it's so competitive. So I think passion is going to be your big driving or motivating force. Um, and then where are you going to go? Because as we've discussed in this in the previous uh, podcast is the applications are basically becoming unlimited or limitless and you need to find that niche that you want to operate in Um, whether it's something where you feel there is competition but you can provide value or you've got a crazy idea like you mentioned in the previous one about renting of drones um, and you think you can bring something to the party so to speak in that area but I think it's you've got to be sure about where you're coming from and but more importantly where you want to go Otherwise, yeah. it just becomes another job. And this is an mm. industry mm. you need passion for. Um, you've got to have passion for the adherence to the regulations. You've got to have passion for safety. You've got to have passion for what you're doing. And you've got to be skilled in what you're doing. Otherwise, you, you're going to fall by the wayside. Rick, but I find that is, that's, that's very true. And I find this actually, if you, if you look in the broader spectrum, I mean, uh, obviously some professions have far less red tape and uh, regulations governing it or whatever the case might be but everything you've said throughout both episodes you know goes back to that you need to want to do well in whatever your pursuit is work hard towards it and 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 have and and actually enjoy it and i think all those things combined you know wanting to be competent wanting to work hard wanting to be kind of better better than your peers and and always kind of advancing your skill level I think that's paramount to doing well in kind of any profession, especially right. so in this one, as you mentioned. Um, you might be able to get in now and do quite well, but if you slack, this is a rapidly growing new industry, but within a few years, it, it will fill up. It will get more competitive. There will be hungry people entering into it. I'm not talking about physically hungry. I mean, people that want to do well. Um, <laughs> and they're going, to, they're going to replace you and they're going to do better than you because... I find that even flying as a hobby, um, the reason why I bought a Fly More Kit, I, I bought a DJI Mavic Mini. The reason why I bought the Fly More Kit is, in my mind, every time I go fly, I can limit myself to 25 minutes of flight, or I can limit myself to 75 minutes because I've got two additional batteries. And for me, in my mind, that extra flight time translates to better skills. So it's, right. it's a perspective thing. So I try to fly as much as I can, as regularly as I can. I've downloaded some um, fly drills already. So I'm, I'm already committing to telling myself, hey, you're flying three or four times a week. You're, you're, you're going to flatten out all those batteries. 
and and this is your trading regime for the week so and and i think just by doing that and actioning something that's already a step in the right direction even if your steps are small just start somewhere and start doing it more because that repeated practice is what makes people stand out in any industry especially in this one absolutely and 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 also very importantly is uh is uh build a good solid reputation if you're a pilot let's say that because your your reputation will precede you and, and nobody's going to hire a cowboy or on the flip side people are always looking for guys out there that have got the skills that have got good referrals that have got good cvs behind them build your hours build them professionally build them that come with good reputation and, and, and I believe that you will succeed. Yeah. And I think we've covered this, the, the next question, you know, the advice for aspiring pilots. Um, <laughs> I think we actually knocked them all out of the park, unless you feel you want to add to that. Well, Rick. I think the, the one thing for aspiring pilots is there's to basically stay on top of the industry developments, mm. because as we've mentioned, there are so many new applications coming around every day that if you are not on top of what's happening in the industry, you might miss a trick somewhere. Uh, or, you know, an unbelievable career opportunity. And that's what I talked about earlier about deciding where you think you want to fit in because the career opportunities are opening up on a daily basis in the drone industry. And if you're not, uh, you know, well-versed or, or, or staying in touch with what's going on, you might miss something. And, of course, you know, be competitive and committed or be committed because it is a competitive market. Having listened to everything that you've said, this seems to be right off the bat, my, my analysis of it, this is a multidisciplinary uh, kind of market. You don't just get someone that's just a drone pilot. Some people have a pilot background. No. They, they, they've got an engineer background. They've got an entrepreneur background. They've got a marketing and logistics background. So it's interesting that every pilot that we kind of spoke about and every scenario we spoke about is bringing something else from another industry to the table. That's my, that's my observation. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, people are bringing different skill sets to the game. Um, as you said, you know, it's like, it's like when you think of an aviation environment, Obviously, the first thing that comes to mind is pilot or air hostess. That is just, you know, it, 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 it's so short-sighted because there is a, a multitude of jobs that make up the aviation industry from ground handlers to maintenance to technicians to baggage handlers to, you know, front office staff to refuelers, you name it. I mean, emergency services make up that entire industry. So if you can take the drone industry and think about all the different applications out there, you know, the the world becomes your oyster. I mean, there are probably guys out there that can build you a drone from scratch, but have never flown their own drone. So the the technical uh, and development side of this industry is huge as well. So, yeah, people are bringing skills from all over to, to, to this particular industry. And rightly so. Yeah, and I think that's that's why it's booming so much, and that's why you're seeing the the incredible growth, and that's why you're seeing the keen interest in it, because it is a technology that can re- revolutionize multiple industries. Um, and I think, and it's exciting. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, if if that doesn't get you excited, um, <laughs> I don't know what will. And that's exactly why I, I'm attracted to it, and that's why we're having this conversation, because I understand. One thing very clearly is if if I don't get certified and other people that's interested in the industry, if you don't get certified, you can have the greatest ideas in the world, but you won't be able to apply them. You need that 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 yeah. solid foundation. You need to go to a solid institution like Cranfield um, and, and, and get that good education, get to meet the people, go meet the people, talk to people in the industry and, and then start, you know, either have your idea going in or get it while you're in there. And uh, hopefully you can make a big difference in the market. Yeah, well, I mean, you just have to apply to manned aviation. Would you want to fly with a pilot that's not accredited under the authorities? Same principle. Yeah, no, for sure, Rick. Rick, and then from my side, that that's it, pretty much it. Anything you want to add at the, at the end of no, this episode? No, I think we've covered it all. Apologies for the sand and fish eagles flying around, yeah? But uh, no, I think we've covered everything in, in detail. And... Uh, you know, as I said, if, you know, if anybody wants to get some advice or know more, there's many places that you can get that information and research that you can do. And obviously, Cranfield being one of those sources of information. 
Yeah, Rick, I think, I think what we can do is if you want to get a few resources on the first and second episode, I can attach them to the episode and people can get hold of you guys and, and any other, um, you mentioned the drone authority and, 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 uh, that was recently spun up and, and a few other things as well. If you want to take a few notes and send them to me, I can attach them to both episodes and, and, and the listeners will have access to those resources under the episode, which will be quite nice and convenient for them. Well, it's been my pleasure and I hope uh, the information that you've got is of value to your listeners. Excellent, Rick. On that note then, everyone, thanks for tuning in today to episode uh, to part two of Cranfield and we'll be speak to Rick again for sure and everyone have a nice week.